and welcome to the Odd Years podcast. It's an odd-numbered year, which means that national elections are on a hiatus, but the issues, trends, and personalities that impact electoral politics are always in sight. This week, we talk with Mark Z. Baraback, a columnist for the LA Times, about his series, The New West, which explores the forces that turn once reliably Republican states like Arizona, Colorado, and Nevada blue and purple. We also discuss what other changes are likely in this diverse and rapidly growing part of the country. And for you demography nerds, we drop the term diaspora a few times too. Not only is Mark an incredibly talented political journalist who is one of the most respected among his colleagues, but he lives in and loves the West like few I know. Here's our conversation that was recorded on September 26th. Mark Z. Baraback, hello. Welcome to The Odd Years. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Of course. So here's what we're going to do today. We are diving deep into the series you're writing for the LA Times called The New West, where you explore the reasons behind the shift in political affiliation of key states in the West, which you say has redrawn the national political map and scrambled the race for the White House. And this shift you're talking about is the shift really over the last 20 or so years. If you look back 20 years ago, it's 2004 presidential election. George W. Bush wins Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, and New Mexico. Uh, And 20 years later, well, not quite 20 years, 16 years later, Democrats win all four of those states, Colorado, pretty much in and New Mexico in the solid blue category. Nevada, slight tinge of blue has been in the Democratic column since 2008 at the presidential level. Arizona, a true toss up. So what happened? Well, uh, there are commonalities across the region. And we can go into those and, and there are different things that happen yeah. in each, each of the states. So some of the commonalities, and let me go back. I, I want to add that Oregon in 2004, hard to believe, was very, very competitive. Mm. I remember campaigning, that's part of the origin of this series. I remember campaigning with uh, W. Bush, covering George W. Bush, not campaigning with him, covering him once he campaigned. And no one said, wow, what is George W. Bush doing in Portland? Is he crazy? In fact, hard to believe that Portland was one of the top advertising markets in the 2004 campaign. So add that to the list. Yep. Since then, it's, it's been lights up. Okay, so what, what's happened? So again, some commonalities across the region, um, starting with the Republican Party that has turned very rightward. It's become very much a white Christian Southern dominated party. Um, that hasn't played particularly well out West. You know, there's a there's a conservatism of more than there's a libertarianism. You know, it's the old, just, you know, just, you know, back off, don't get in my face. Uh, so even before the Hobbs decision, uh, the Dobbs decision, excuse me, even before the Dobbs decision, you know, abortion, that issue really hurt Republicans out here. State parties in places like Oregon, Arizona, uh, uh, Colorado, New Mexico have all gotten very, very uh, right wing. Trumpy. I mean, a lot of this stuff was, was taking place even before Donald Trump shows up on the scene. Uh, the rise of the Latino vote. 
starting in California. We saw it with Prop 187, and they just sort of moved from California west, uh, eastward. That's sort of the conceit we have here in California. All, all important trends start here and, and spread east. So the increase of the Latino vote, uh, an energized Latino vote, folks turning out larger number. The sorting that has been written about so much, folks, uh, folks moving to cities, you know, there's, there, there's a misapprehension. There's sort of this mythos of, of, of the West as the place of, you know, uh, cowboys and barbed wire and wide open spaces. And all that is true. But the West is actually the most urban part of the country. More people live in cities in the West than anywhere else in the country. Cities, as you and as others certainly know, tend to vote Democratic. So you have those broad sweeping changes across the region. And then if you want, we can get into individual uh, individuals in the case of Nevada and California and, and, and individual factors in each of these states? Uh, you know, I, I am old enough to remember, too, Mark, when uh, the, the mayor of Boulder, Colorado, was actually a Republican, that the race for the district in and around Portland and those suburbs around Portland was considered a toss-up. So, yes, you've seen, as you said, the city's changing, but also the suburbs around those cities changing? And how much of that, as you said, is about the cultural issue piece? And how much of that is about the kinds of people who moved into those states? These are all fast-growing states. And what what have you found when it comes to the the sort of, I don't know if we call them expats or people who've mo moved in, but have they changed what it meant to be an Oregonian, what it meant to be an Arizonan, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought up the suburbs because that, that really is a key part of it, especially in places like uh, like Arizona. Uh, if you want to look at Joe Biden's very, very narrow victory there, uh, it was Maricopa County, right? Suburban, you know, Phoenix and its sprawling metro area, 60% of the electorate flipped from Hillary Clinton to Biden. Biden became the first Democrat to carry it actually since Harry Truman. So yeah, the story, a big part of the story is, is the suburbs. And the Oregon piece, I, I led with a couple, I mean, they moved from California some, some years back, but they lived in Irvine and they moved up there to be a part of the growing tech industry. And that piece I centered in Washington County, which was traditionally a Republican part of Oregon. You're nodding your head as you and other folks know. Uh, Joe Biden won that and they won it because of people like, uh, the Packers. That's the name of the couple who, who moved in. And that's a big part of it as well. You know, you have a lot of folks moving from California who are moving to places like Nevada, particularly Washoe County. Again, used to be Republican. Now it's a, it's a coin flip. Very, very close. Uh, Maricopa County, uh, parts of Colorado, I mean, all across the West. And you also have folks from the Midwest moving into uh, uh, Arizona in particular. So, yeah, it's very much a, a story of movement of, of people coming. It's that, it's that sorting that, that folks have talked about, people moving to these places and... Other people following them because they want to live by like people who are politically like minded. So is this really a story? You're based in California, obviously. Is this a story about how this really comes back to a California diaspora story that uh, I mean, it's it's a story that many people that sort of conventional wisdom is everybody's moving out of California and they took their California politics and now they're spreading it all across the West. That, that's a part of it, a part of it. And it's a meaningful part of it, but it's not the only story yeah. there. I mean, let's, let's talk about Nevada. Um, I went to Nevada. I went to Vegas. I wrote about that. Yes, there are people, as I mentioned, who are moving to places like Washoe County, but Nevada is one of these places where really one individual made a huge difference. Right. Of course, Harry Reid, former Senate Majority Leader. Um, for him, it was, it was, it was the old, 
what's the old thing? Mother of invention, necessity. I mean, the bottom line is Harry Reid almost, almost lost, came really, really close in 1998 to losing, had this near-death experience. And as a result, took over the state Democratic Party, which was kind of a joke, turned it into this political juggernaut, um, brought the caucuses to Nevada in, in 2008, which had a huge effect on party building, enormous, in fact, indispensable help from the culinary union, super powerful union. So yes, the California diaspora, if you will, is a part of it. But in the case of Nevada, very much uh, one individual and, well, one individual, Harry Reid, with huge help from organized labor. We're going to get in the weeds here a little bit on Nevada. And of course, our listeners love the weeds. So let's talk about that Harry Reid machine for a minute, because as you pointed out, it was almost a force of will uh, and, and that you write about that Harry Reid says, we're not going to lose again. I'm going to build the biggest, best, uh, basically machine to turn out our voters. And he uh, passed away a couple of years ago. And ever since then, there's been this conversation about whether you know, without Harry Reid there, the Democrats are going to be able to continue to keep this machine running. We know after the 2020 election, for example, the state party was basically taken over by Bernie Sanders alums and acolytes. Now it's back in the hands of the so-called establishment. The Reid machine is dispersed. So how long can the personality basically it, it, or maybe a better way of saying it is, can the Reed machine continue to dominate the longer that Harry Reed person is no longer in the picture? Yeah, good, good question. Um, I've spoken to people who are are cogs, if you will, in the Reed machine, uh, uh, and you know they 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 praise Harry Reed to the skies and say what a great. Guy, he was brilliant, master tactician, but they also say Harry Reid was realistic enough to know that Harry Reid wasn't going to live forever. Um, so he purposely, they say, laid the groundwork, built a machine that can keep up and running without him. And how we saw they did come through in this last Senate uh, election, reelected uh, uh, Cortez Masto, the, the incumbent Democrat. Close race, tough race, but she won it. Um, you yeah. know, we'll know better in 2004, 2004, 2024, we'll know. Yeah. 24, yes, I'm, my mind is on when the series started. 2024, 20, so we'll know more. You know, it's a very good question. The thing that they don't have, you know, the Reed machine does not have is that enormous uh, fundraising cloud that Harry Reed enjoyed. I mean, you know, he, they, could, they could do whatever they wanted. They could fund everything. I mean, millions and millions of dollars pouring into the state, Democratic Party at, at that time. So um, I'm trying to think of what metaphor I want to use. The Reed machine is up and running. If money is the gas or the fuel that's running it, how long is that going to keep coming in to keep the machine running? That's that's a big question. Right. Although as long as it's a presidential battleground, I guess the money will come in during that presidential year. But to your point, it needs to be coming in constantly, right? You can't just fill the car in. up. Yeah. Yeah. Once. And, and, yeah. And I want to give due credit, you know, to, to the culinary union because oh, they're really important. I mean, you know, the culinary yeah. union and base is fascinating. I mean, we're seeing sort of this labor resurgence, you know, with the writer's strike, what's going on, who knows how the, the auto worker strikes have come up. But Nevada still is, Las Vegas especially, still is that kind of America that existed before you and I were born, frankly, where, you know, you could have a high school uh, degree, no more, and, you know, buy a house, put your kids through college, all that stuff. That's very much owing to the unique nature of the, of the Vegas economy and, and the power of culinary. 
you know, and, and, and as long as culinary is, is there, um, that goes a long way toward, you know, putting gas in that, in that reading machine. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, what, and what's so fascinating about Nevada, too, is, you know, the, the challenge here for Republicans it used to be, oh, boy, we got to keep. Can, we're going to lose Clark County, which is Las Vegas. But if we keep it close enough and we win in the rural areas and you, as you pointed out, Washoe County, which is up at in Reno, you know, we can we can win the state. But now it's like whack-a-mole where Republicans have to continue to try to keep com- somewhat competitive in Clark. But now Washoe is going also a, a more Democratic than it was in yeah. the past. Yeah, yeah. The thing about Nevada, the thing that keeps Nevada competitive is, you know, I was, I was referring to these, these we'll call them blue-collar or, or non-college graduate. Nevada has a very, very significant percentage of them, as you and, and the folks watching this know, right? That's been one of the big divides in, in our politics these days is, is folks, you know, college degree or less voting Republican. And so that, that's what keeps Nevada competitive. I mean, Democrats have all these advantages we're talking about, but still a very substantial portion of non-college educated folks who work, you know, who work in the, they like to call the gaming industry. So we'll go with that. Who work in the gaming industry, work in the entertainment industry. Um, that's what's keeping Nevada very, very competitive, along with the fact that, you know, we've seen um, Republicans making inroads among Latinos, as we call them, California, Hispanics elsewhere, those blue collar types. So that's also keeping Nevada competitive. Well, that's, well, thank you for my transition. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into the Odd Years podcast. We hope you're enjoying these interviews and we need your help. One of the best ways to support our podcast is by leaving a review on your favorite platform. Just a few words about what you like about the show. Your review not only helps us know what we're doing right, but it also helps other people find the odd years. Speaking of helping other listeners find the odd years, please share your favorite episode with someone you think might enjoy these conversations. On behalf of our team, thank you for your support. Because that's what I wanted to talk to you about, too, about how important Latinos are to Democrats' success. So 2020, Biden does nine points worse than Hillary Clinton among Latinos in Nevada, six points worse than Clinton did in Arizona. And in talking uh, to folks for your stories in Nevada, I know Arizona's coming out soon. What are they, what are folks in those states telling you about the Latino vote and whether or not this, uh, dip that we saw between Clinton and Biden, whether that was a one-off or that they, they think that that's actually going to continue to be uh, a trend line that could help Republicans come back and win a state like Nevada and hold on to Arizona. I think Democrats are very concerned about it. Uh, they're very concerned. They, they want to see to it if they can make it a one-time blip as opposed to a pattern. Um, because you're right, that's a very, very important part of um, the Democratic base. A big, big part of this, this transition has been Latino voters. And Democrats I've spoken with and, and, and some folks who specialize in, in Latino voters, see it, it's, a, it's a real problem that Democrats have. Um, a lot of it is grounded in economics. A lot of it is grounded in culture. Um, for shorthand purposes we'll talk about the woke stuff quote quote the latinx stuff quote quote doesn't play real well particularly with with a lot of older uh, male uh, 
Latinos. So Democrats are mindful this is, that this is a problem and it's something they're going to have to focus on. And yet um, the converse and some of the issues, too, I, I know in looking back at the 2022 elections, there's been some really good research there by some of these uh, more progressive groups on what worked and what didn't with Latino voters. Interestingly enough, as you pointed out, the the conversations about um, even about immigration or about the fight for democracy, democracy being at stake, those didn't move those swing voters in the same way that issues about who's looking out for me and my family and abortion access did. So I think we have a lot of assumptions. Those right. folks who've been working in politics for a long time about like, who are Latino voters? What's going to motivate them? What happens when all these young Latino voters come into the voting age population? And I think we're now starting to finally recognize that it's more complicated than we've been sort of led to believe. Yeah, you know, the first thing folks who specialize in Latino vote will tell you is there is no Latino right. vote. Latinos are different everywhere. I mean, we, we haven't talked about Texas, which is a place I want to venture event. I want to venture eventually because, you know, you look at all the factors that have shaded the West blue, you know, Latino voters, big cities, uh, party that's gone way far to the right. All those things are taking place in Texas, which obviously has not flipped. Why? Well, part of it is because Latinos in Texas are so different than Latinos, say, in California and other places. So, there is that tendency to sort of, you know, speak in the broad brush of right. Latinos when you're right. Older Latinos are different than younger or blue collar. It's like any other constituency. Um, here is my uh, other big arching question. You said you wanted to move into Texas. My question is, why states where we're also seeing an influx of new people, fast growing states, Idaho, Utah, Montana, why those states have stayed reliably red while the Colorados and Nevadas, you know, the states around them have gone blue? You know, that's a good question. And I mean, I would have to go I, to really feel comfortable answering it. I would want to spend some time on the ground there. You know, my supposition is that it's part of that sorting that's taking place. And yeah. a lot of the folks who are moving are moving to places like Iowa and Utah and Montana because they feel culturally and politically more comfortable there. Right. So I think it's part of this. I, I think it's part of this. You know, all those states you mentioned have, you know, not insubstantial Latino populations, but certainly not as large as some of these other states. I think that may be part of it as well. Um, but I think a big part of it is just, is just cultural, you know, like, like choosing to move and live near like. Yeah. And in the case of Utah, you know, you have a Salt Lake City, which is pretty liberal and has been electing progressive mayors for quite some time. But uh, you get outside of Salt Lake City. There you go. Bo Boise is attracting a lot of tech and is now right. the sort of new affordable part of the West. And I'm and I'm wondering, and, and, and you spent time in Bend, Oregon, we're starting to see uh in this new post-COVID economy, more and more people who say, I can work from anywhere. Why don't I, I'm going to go live near Tahoe. So I'll live in Reno or I want to live near Bachelor. So I'm going to go live in Bend. And, and how much has that, I like, I don't get to use the word diaspora very often. So I'm going to use it a lot. 
Because it's a great word and we don't get to use it. So this, uh, again, diaspora of of workers who can work from anywhere who are saying, if I can work from anywhere, I want to work from a beautiful place where I can also do cool outdoor stuff. And that ultimately enough of them move there that they change the makeup? Or does it take more than just, you know, some keyboard warriors moving to one city in a state to make meaningful change? No, I think, and I'm just going to say diaspora because I, I want to say it too. This isn't a diaspora. good word. Yes, yeah. diaspora. Um, I mean, I, again, that, that, that's a part of it. And it's funny you mentioned Ben because, um, you know, Part of the change that took place in, in Oregon is, is exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you know, Ben used to be I think it's a small, sleepy, forgive the cliche, uh, place that has become sort of this, this outdoor mecca and it drawn a lot of people, a lot of Californians, a lot of people who can, as you suggest, work from anywhere. And, you know, this story behind Oregon was, was to me particularly interesting because, um, part of that was an economic transformation, right? I, I got a quote here I want to dig up. I want to, I want to give him due justice. It was, it was Bill Lunch. He's a longtime political emeritus, political science professor. He said, employment patterns have political consequences. And you sure see that in Oregon. I mean, yeah. Oregon was a state that traditionally was rely on extractive industries, uh, timber being among them. And then all of a sudden you had this transformation to two things, you know, a tech economy, as you mentioned, and then this, whole industry built up around leisure and outdoors and hiking and this notion that, you know, instead of chopping down trees, people like want to hike around them. And so Nike is there and Columbia Sportswear. Yep. And what does that do? Brings in a lot of folks from places like California, but elsewhere, people who are very environmental minded um, tend to vote Democratic because of the parties and the way they line up environmental issues. And also, interestingly, education became a really big issue, right? Tech wants people who are educated. Democrats became seen as the party that's more supportive of education. So, you know, in, in the case of Oregon, you had sort of this economic transformation that led to the political change. And Colorado, a little bit of the same that you write about that. This is the state that has uh, more college graduates than per capita than any other, right? Yeah. Yeah, very, very highly educated state. Again, yeah. very, very environmental minded. You know, what, what happened in Colorado that's interesting to me is, and it sort of illustrates um, the direction the parties have taken. You know, the, 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 the Colorado Republican Party has now been taken over by a Trumpy election denier kind of guy, right? Um, but Democrats over the last 20 or so years put up these governors who, governors and senators who are, you know, see this very, very moderate. Um, you had a former DA who became uh, the Democratic governor. You have Jared Polis, who arguably is more libertarian than Democratic. But, you know, again, it goes to, you know, I, mean, I, 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 I use this word advisedly, but I think it's really important in politics. It goes to branding. And in a place like Colorado, Democrats have been branded as sort of the centrist, more sensible party. And the Republicans have been kind of seen as the crazy party, which has been exacer- exacerbated under, under, under Donald Trump. So the risk for Democrats in a state like Colorado is they could lose if they put the kind of candidate forward that is seen as just way, way too left, too out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, you know, um, because Repu- say how- oh, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just I can't say how many conversations I had. I mean, one comes to mind 
when I was driving around Oregon with, with, with a local elected Democrat who was going on and on talking about crime and homelessness and how frustrating people are. I can't tell you how many people who, you know, would, 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 you know, burn down the house with grandma in it before they would vote for Donald Trump or Republican, right? These are dyed in the wool Democrats who are saying, you know what? Crime's out of control. Homelessness is out of control. Something has to happen. That's that. If, if there's something, and, and I think we're more likely to see it at the local level, starting with mayors, boards of supervisors, governors. Um, you know, Oregon, as you know, came very close to a Republican governor for the first time in like forever. So yeah, that's that's the risk for, for Democrats is this backlash on issues like crime and homelessness, which really has a lot of people, uh, Democrats among them, just fed up. And that if maybe Donald Trump is no longer in the picture, this becomes an easier uh, thing for Republicans to be able to keep the focus on the issue rather than having to talk about Donald Trump and the uh, one, issue. 100%. I mean, I, um, you know, anyone who wants to read any of my columns will know what I say about Donald Trump. So I will simply take it from the perspective of, of what I feel has been harmful to the Republican Party. And let me just state here, you know, I'm all for a two-party system, right? Competitive, checks about all that good stuff, right? I think one of the great detriments of Donald Trump's Republican Party has been that that's all Democrats have to say. Yes, there are people sleeping on your sidewalk. And yes, this is the problem. Donald Trump, MAGA. Right. And that's that's simply voters are going to go, OK, I get it. We don't like Donald Trump. But here's the thing. I also don't like that we haven't there doesn't seem to be any solution to crime or homelessness. And it's been uh you know, dragging on now for for far too long. Although Los Angeles was going to be another place where that issue was going to potentially allow a former Republican to win a race for mayor. And that did not work either. No, no, yeah. no. Uh, you know, and, and they obviously threw down, you know, the MAGA card. Yeah. I, I don't know how important that was. But, you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's basic math. More Democrats and Republicans in a place like L.A. Right. We'll be right back with more from The Odd Years. The Odd Years is brought to you by the Cook Political Report team. It's our way of sharing the questions we love to ask and the conversations we enjoy having behind the scenes. If you'd like to explore more of what we have to offer, consider subscribing at cookpolitical.com slash subscribe. Odd Years listeners can use the discount code ODD10, the number 10 that is, to save 10% on any subscription. This offer is available only to new subscribers. Um, trying to think through the next uh, the next election in 2024, Mark, I, these are all places. Well, first of all, I want to travel to all these places just because they're some of the most beautiful on Earth. But Arizona is going to be a place where a lot of action is going to happen. And what do you see really as the key here as we are going to, you know, drill down into every single, uh, you know, event? Uh, or maybe let me start by saying in Arizona, what do you think really the key is to determining whether Democrats keep hold of it once again in this presidential or whether Donald Trump can win a state that he carried in 2016, but lost in 2020. 
Yeah, and and, and carried it in 2016 with less than 50% exactly. of, of yes. the vote. I mean, yes. Arizona has always been really tough. Like, I mean, I've been having this conversation actually with, with a lot of folks, folks on Arizona now. And you kind of get, I mean, I, I want to be clear. I'm, I, I'm not smart enough to make predictions. So I, I never make any predictions. And one thing I, I should say is like they say when you invest like in a mutual fund or whatever, like past performance is no guarantor, right? Past performance is no guarantor of future, future results, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, Arizona agreed. It's going to be one of the handful of super competitive states. You know, what's it going to come down to? I mean, folks I talk to, um, talk about with Trump as the Republican nominee winning against Biden or without Trump. Um, you know, I don't have to tell you that Republicans feel much, much better. These, these are, to be clear, your establishment, political analysts, types, not your MAGA diehard Trump people. So to be clear, but you know, they, they'd say, I mean, someone said to me that, 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 you know, the best thing Joe Biden could have going for him would be Donald Trump. Uh, and conversely, the best thing that Trump has going for him is Joe Biden. I mean, what, what's a big part of it? Inflation, gas prices. I mean, they're cheaper in Arizona. You know, I went for my run this morning and gas prices in California, Northern California are pushing $6 a gallon. Not going to put California in play, but it, it, it's, it's a really, really big deal. Yeah. Um, so if you're a Democrat, you know, how do you, how do you win Arizona? They need to do what they did last time. They're going to need to carry the suburbs. Um, they're going to need to have a very, very robust Latino turnout. Um, an unsung and underappreciated thing. And, you know, when you win a state by 10,500, some, I think it's 10,597 or whatever votes, but it, less than 11,000, a lot of things matter. Huge, huge turnout among Native Americans in, 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 in 2020. So, you know, Democrats, you know, Biden just barely won. Um, it's one of these things where they have to do everything right to, to win it again. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what we're going to see in terms of if that margin in 2024. Um, Mark, one thing we'd like to end our interviews with that we ask all of our interviewees is to tell us about first elected official that you interacted with. Now, this can be doesn't have to be somebody that you covered it doesn't have to be in your official capacity as a journalist, or it could be, but the one that really sticks with you. Wow, the first. And do they have to be elected? Because I can go back and I can tell you the first candidate I covered. Sure, he wasn't elected please. At the time. The Any, first anybody wow, that's in okay. that sort of political uh, world. Universe. Well, okay. So when I was 16 years old, and already decided that I was going to squander my life by becoming a, a newspaper reporter. Uh, I was the editor of my high school paper in Oakland, California. And uh, I decided as editor that we were going to cover the Oakland mayor's race, right? For right. our audience of students, none of who could vote. But why not? I'm the editor. I can do what I want. And I chose to cover the front runner because I was the editor. I could. A, a gentleman by the name of Lionel J. Wilson, the Superior Court judge. The Oakland Airport is now named after him. He became the first. Uh, black mayor in Oakland history. So 16 years old, I went out and, and covered the Lionel J. Wilson mayoral campaign. And now, now, and here I am all these many, way too many years later, flying out whenever I do my little trips around the West or wherever, flying out of Lionel J. Wilson Airport. That is a great connection. Now, was Ron Dellums the, ever the mayor? Did he run? Yeah, mayor? Ron Dellums, yes. Ron okay. Dellums followed. Yeah, I, there were a handful after. Yes, Ron Dellums. Went from Congress, where you probably covered him, to, to mayor. 
I'll, you know, I'll, I'm going to add, I'm going to pin real quickly to the conversation. Please. I feel super lucky in my career. I mean, I've covered people like Nancy Pelosi. I mean, from, from the ground up, from her very first one for Congress, I've covered Dianne Feinstein. I mean, I remember when she was mayor being called into her office in City Hall and being scolded. Um, you know, Obama, Hillary Clinton. I mean, I've, I've been super lucky to cover some really, really fascinating people and people, particularly the Pelosi's and Feinstein's really, really closely, up close and, and personally. It's been, it's been, it's been fascinating. It's been fun. So were you surprised by the Pelosi decision to stay around for another term? Uh, yeah and no. I mean, a little bit. Yes, I will admit I was surprised. I thought when she stepped down from the speakership, she would leave Congress and be done. That surprised me. I think it makes a little bit of sense for her to stick around only because she can raise a ton of money still and is. I mean, I have heard people suggest, and I don't know, suggest that she'll get reelected and then maybe step down right afterwards, a uh, special election, maybe see if she could give a leg up to her daughter, Christine, who would like to be elected. That's some speculation. So I guess I was a, a little bit surprised. But then when I thought about it, 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 it makes sense for her to stick around and, 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 and do what she can to, to, you know, try and win back the House one more time. One more time. Although, boy... What to say you're going to stick around for one more term? And if you're still feeling healthy, what's to say, you know, go for another two years? You know what? I think as long as Nancy Pelosi draws a breath, she'll be reelected in San Francisco. Right. I mean, she's really an institution. You know, Coit Tower, the Golden Gate Bridge, the 49ers, Nancy Pelosi. All are what San Francisco is known for. Mark Bearback, this is fantastic. Uh, your series has been so good and important, and I want to be spending a lot more time out west, as I said, especially Arizona and Nevada, which are key battleground states, but understanding the shift in those states like Colorado, like Oregon, uh, like California even, um, over these last 20 years tells us a lot about our moment that we're living in right now. So really, really love the work you're doing. And thank you. for that. Well, thank you. And come out when you do bring your mountain bike. We'll go for a ride. I know we'll go. We'll go to maybe we'll go to Ben. I've never been oh, there. Yeah. Oh, there's amazing trails. I go, you know, because my brother-in-law lives there. So I go there and I mean, they have it's like ski resort. They have them rated. There's like green, blues and blacks. I mean, it was incredible network that goes on forever. OK, well, as you as you know, and the older I get, the more that green is the only color I do. Same with my skiing. I'm all about the greens. I enjoy the outdoor part. I can't, yeah. I, 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 I can't break anything or rip anything. So, well, we've reached that point in the year where the days are getting shorter, the leaves are changing color, and retailers are sporting Christmas decorations. It also means we're coming to the end of season one of The Odd Years. Thanks to the positive feedback we received from this podcast, we're going to keep it going, but with a twist. Season two, which will take place during an even-numbered year, of course, will feature opportunities for you to ask questions of our fantastic political report team, including David Wasserman and Jessica Taylor. Stay tuned for more information on where On Year's listeners can submit questions. Until next time, thanks for listening.
Beyond Years is brought to you by the Cook Political Report and is produced by Ali Slane and Catherine Hare with podcast editing and sound design by Kate Wecker of Sonic Hook Creations.